Hey Google, play the latest episode of the Detail podcast. Got it. Playing the Detail on Spotify. So many things we have. Sorry, we're not trying to trick you here. We didn't make a mistake and upload a podcast we put out the other day. I'm just trying to show you the wonders of modern search engine technology using my alarm clock. Whatever way we use the world's biggest search engine, if it's through our voice or on a browser, it's our constant companion. What do you do when you need to figure something out? Directions, restaurants, history, the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow. What do you mean? An African or European swallow? Huh? I, I don't know that. I'm willing to bet you Google it. Google's my best friend. I love Google. Google's your best friend. Yes, Why? I mean, because literally we're walking right now trying to find a pizza place and I'm Googling it. But despite all these wonders, there are some pitfalls and Google is tied up in multiple court cases. The big one, which started in 2020, has been playing out recently. And it has the US Department of Justice saying Google is illegally monopolising the search engine market, using its deep pockets to shut out its rivals. Widely considered the biggest antitrust trial of the modern digital era, Google is the undisputed giant when it comes to searching the web. More than 90% of searches start with Google. It's so incredibly popular, but the problem stems from what's happening behind the scenes. When you go to search the web from almost any phone, Google is your default way of doing it. But that's no coincidence. The government claims Google illegally pays billions of dollars to Apple, Samsung, LG, and beyond to make Google the default search engine on your phone and computers, shutting out rivals like Microsoft Bing and DuckDuckGo. Now, a suit from the Department of Justice and a coalition of 39 states asks, do those deals keep competitors out of the market and give Google illegal dominance in the process? Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen, and today on The Detail, the story of the Google antitrust trial hitting headlines in the US, and why we should care here in Aotearoa. Today, I'm talking to Auckland University Professor of Experimental Economics, Ananish Chowdhury, who's been watching and writing about the case from New Zealand. The Google case is very much a kind of a mainstream economics issue on anti-competitive behavior, uh, monopoly pricing, things along those lines. So I, I've done work in this area. I also teach this uh, at various levels, including in our first year courses. So can we go back to the start here? I'm sure everybody knows what Google is. We use it multiple times a day, if not... Uh, hundreds of times, some of us, I would assume. But let's go back to 2020 when this case was brought by the Department of Justice. Tech giant Google is vowing to fight the Justice Department in court after prosecutors accused the company of locking out competition with an illegal monopoly. What was it all about? Okay, so if you look at the case filed by the Department of Justice, and it's not just Department of Justice, there are maybe 10, 15 other states like California, Florida, whose attorney generals are party or are plaintiffs in this case. There are three main charges against Google. The first one is that Google is a monopoly in the market for internet search. And Google does things to retain this monopoly in the market for internet search. The second charge is that Google is a monopoly and takes actions to preserve that monopoly in the market for search ads. And the ads typically are two kinds, right? One is you may search for something, right? 
you want to go buy a pair of shoes and Google will show you various options. The other is searches that are kind of, or ads not related. You're searching for something, you're looking at something, but ads show up. For instance, you will see very often in your Gmail or Yahoo Mail, various other ads will show up like inline text. That's basically it. The other thing that they're saying is Google pays all these companies so much money to be the default search provider? Correct. So how does that work? They, they pay, say, Apple billions of dollars so they can be the default search provider on, say, an iPhone or Mozilla Firefox, for instance, that browser. Correct. Now, we need to make a distinction between a few things, right? So when you get on your computer or if you have an iPhone, you get on your phone and you want to get on the internet, the first thing you click on is a browser. On iPhone, the browser is called Safari. I have a Microsoft computer, like a PC. So my browser is called Microsoft Edge, right? Mozilla, Firefox, Google Chrome, these are browsers. Now, the question is, when you get into the browser and you search for something, now you're talking about something slightly different. Now you're talking about a search engine or what's called a web crawler. Chances are that for most of us, when we search for something, whatever the browser, the browser will default to the Google search engine. And why is that? Because Google is a large monopoly in that market. And as you pointed out, Google pays these companies to make sure that the default search engine is Google, right? So now, to get back to the point you just made, Google has paid Apple about $26 billion to make sure that anytime you click on the Safari browser on, say, either your Apple computer or Apple phone, the default search engine is Google, which in turn means that all the ads that you will see, all the things that you will be exposed to are things that Google will show you. And then Google has done the same thing with their two basic platforms, right? So you have the Apple operating system and you have the Android operating system. And then if you have a Samsung phone or a Huawei phone or any of these other phones, then you're using an Android system. But Google has struck deals with major Android manufacturers. So LG, Motorola, Samsung. In fact, Google also has deals with carriers like AT&T, Verizon, Sprint, that they will primarily feature the Google search engine on their devices. It doesn't matter what browser you're using. The question is, where will that browser send you? So for instance, if you use Google Chrome, then it's pretty intuitive to say the Google Chrome will send you to the Google search engine. Mm. If you use Microsoft Edge, like I am using Microsoft Edge on my computer, the default is Microsoft's Bing. But the issue is that pretty much for all computers and mobile phones increasingly, the default search is Google. So when you are searching on the internet, 88% of those searches are being undertaken using the Google search engine. Wow, that's a lot. (laughs) Bing has 7%, Yahoo has less than 4%, and DuckDuckGo, which is a relatively new entrant. DuckDuckGo, privacy simplified. Has less than 2%. That's what we're talking about. And Yahoo gets its results from Bing anyway, doesn't it? Correct. That's exactly right. So Yahoo has recently struck a deal where they're getting it from Bing. So now what Google is doing, so every time you're searching, Google is now showing you ads. And every time you click on an ad, Google earns money. 
And in turn, Google shares some of that revenue with the companies that provide Google. For instance, on an Android phone, on the screen itself, there is a bar for a Google search. In fact, the new thing that's happening is that now the question is, every time you say, hey, Siri, do this for me. Hey, Siri, are you friends with Google? I'm a big fan of good listeners and helpful beings. Or if you happen to have Amazon's Alexa, if you say, Alexa, tell me something, that's also a search. And that's a major new area of searching. Every time you you get into your car and you punch in a navigation address, Google is a monopoly in those areas now increasingly. Back to my alarm clock. Hey Google, are you friends with Siri? I think Siri's awesome. I keep trying to schedule a group hang with her, Alexa and Cortana, but we're all so busy. So this builds a picture of Google as a bit of a monopoly. And it's finally been playing out in court over the last few months. What's Google's argument? If you look at the public documents, I did, I can could not see Google's formal response. Just a note, Google successfully got the judge to block public access to some of the trial, arguing trade secrets could be disclosed. But I'm, I'm reasonably sure what Google's response would be. That, yes, we're a monopoly because we are the best out there. So companies put on the Google search engine because the Google search engine is the best. Bear in mind that every time you click on an ad, Google earns revenue and Google shares that revenue with the company. So Google is sharing that revenue with LG and Motorola, Nokia, Apple, etc. Right? But Google will say that we are the best search engine. You know, the other search engines are far more, far inferior. So this is why it's not the revenue sharing. It's the quality of our product, which makes these people put Google on there. Mm. That's number one. The second thing Google will say is an argument that's in the fancy jargon for this is network externality. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What does that mean? It kind of means two things. One is, to take an example, why do people post things on TikTok? Because other people look at TikTok or Instagram, because other people look at Instagram. The more other people look at Instagram, the more people put stuff on Instagram. The more people put stuff on Instagram, more other people look on Instagram, right? It's like an accumulative effect where the more people do something, the more valuable it becomes. But in order to do that, very often you would need these devices to talk to one another, right? For instance, you know, if you, let's say, upload things to the cloud and th download things from the cloud to another device and things along those lines. As a consumer, you want this to be a seamless experience. You don't want to jump through a lot of hoops. So Google will say that, look, you know, we are making all these things very simple. With one click, you can upload photos, you can do YouTube, you can do this, you can do that. You know, we have made life so much simpler for the consumer. Life would be a lot more difficult if you had a series of different search engines or a series of different programs that never talk to one another. It will all the everything will be fragmented, right? Now there is obviously some value in having something like Facebook or Instagram where everybody can post photos, every all of us can see it, etc. And I believe the third thing Google will say is that. Based on these, Google will say, where is the harm? Show me the harm to the consumers. There is harm. I can tell you where the harm is. Yo, tell, me, tell me where the harm is. Well, at one level, the harm is privacy. You're essentially giving Google access to all your private data. Such as? I'm sure you've seen this, right? The moment you search for something, you'll immediately start getting ads popping up 
showing you things along those lines. So Google has detailed information on your shopping habits, things you have bought recently, things you're looking at, airfares, hotels, car rentals, things along those lines. And then Google can can use ads to target you. I use Google Maps all the time to get around Auckland and would it be picking up information like, oh, I'm going to Westfield, St. Luke's, and then I'm going to Craft Beer Place in Mount Eden? Would it pick up those things? Google knows every single what's called point of interest you visited. Google knows your shopping pattern. Google knows things you do. So that's the privacy concern. You may or may not care about privacy. The other issue is the Google ads that you're seeing, right? So every time you see the ads and you click through, Google earns money. And Google essentially auctions off you have to enter an auction. It's almost virtual real-time auction to place ads on the Google page, etc. Right. But if you're a monopoly, then Google, of course, has the power to charge high prices for those ads. And now if the advertisers or the producers are paying high prices for those ads, then eventually, I mean, not eventually, I mean, in- inevitably, those higher prices will bleed through to higher prices on their products. So you may not be paying anything for Google, but you will pay indirectly via paying higher prices for you know everything that's being advertised on Google. So there is there is harm. The question, of course, is there is some amount of convenience, there's some amount of harm, and you know, where do you draw the line? Obviously, there's a lot of fine details here that need to be figured out. So where's the trial at now in the States? The main case has finished. Arguments in the landmark antitrust trial against Google are over. The Justice Department is seeking to prove that the tech giant abused its power and broke laws to favor its bottom line. Once a case ends, typically there are lots and lots of additional submissions, rebuttals, wrangling over things. So I believe that's where it is and, and before it finally goes to the judge for a decision. But this is going to drag out for a while. All of the oral arguments have been concluded. And so right now, it will be next year when we find out what happens in this case. Both sides will have to present written arguments and responses to those written arguments in February, then March. And in May, they will come back to court and give their closing arguments. This is not that unusual. The government served notice to Google that they were going to bring this case. So Google was told to not to destroy documents or you know keep record of things. They haven't, so now they're fighting over. From what point onwards, Google was supposed to preserve the documents. There's also evidence that they have taken lots of things kind of offline, which the government said that you shouldn't, etc. A federal judge has issued a ruling against Google in a high-profile antitrust case. The judge said Google actually tried to, quote, hide the ball by automatically deleting employee chat messages that could have been used as evidence in this lawsuit. So can I just ask now, what would the outcome likely be of this? I mean, we're guessing at the moment, speculating as to what it could be, but what could happen to Google and the way we use it? So the options are the government could essentially break up Google into two companies, let's say. One company that deals with search and one company that advertising the search ad kinds of things. I think that's unlikely. That's unlikely for two reasons. One is that it will not be easy. Second is a technical issue, which is that if you break up Google, and this came up, you we talked about this, if you break up Google into a search and an ad business, 
you probably have what's called kind of a upstream and downstream monopoly. So you have a monopoly company in the ad market and a monopoly company in the search market. And there's literature in economics which suggests that having two monopolies, kind of upstream and downstream, which work with one another, is maybe worse than having one monopoly that does both. So that's that's one possibility. The second possibility is that um, Google has, it's called scale economies, right? It's just so big that uh, taking on Google would require billions of dollars. So it's not as if that if Google didn't exist, somebody would enter the market immediately. First of all, really, if it's in Google, then it's Google and Bing. So it's not like there'll be 10 different companies, there'll be two companies. So it's not even clear to what extent you can foster competition in this market, which means you could the government could say, well, Google will let Google continue as a monopoly, but it will be regulated to some extent. For instance, there are public utilities that are regulated, right? For instance, water care is regulated to some to an extent, or electricity gen tailors regulated. In this, they regulated simply means they cannot charge whatever price they wish to charge. They cannot charge the monopoly price. Some government agency will have oversight over what price is being charged. This whole case is following very similar trends to another big trial back at the turn of the millennium. A major antitrust trial against Microsoft began in October. The product in question, the Microsoft Internet Explorer, which is fully integrated into the Windows 98 computer operating system. The charge, creating an unfair monopoly to stop any rival internet browser from finding a place on your hard drive. So the Microsoft case was very similar. What Microsoft did was this was way back in the 90s where, or in the early 2000s, where we basically had, at the time, the most prominent internet browser was called uh, Netscape Navigator. Next time you're on the internet, go to the new netscape.com. Faster searches, instant messaging, a customized start page. And then Microsoft came out with its own browser called the Explorer. And Microsoft uh, started putting Explorer on all Microsoft computers. So anytime you bought a computer with a Microsoft operating system, you would have Explorer as a default. And Netscape sued saying that this was anti-competitive. By putting it on the computers, Microsoft was making it very difficult for Netscape to compete. Nothing much happened in the case, you know, the the case kind of fizzled away and they Microsoft kind of settled. They agreed to a consent decree where Microsoft was told that, well, you know, you need to allow other browsers to be put on the platform, etc. Microsoft lost its ability to attract top talent because they, right. you know, they were poisoned. They had a scarlet letter. And it was harder to make acquisitions. Very harder. And and they were they were looking over their shoulder. What's the government going to do? This is true of Google also. Google has agreements in place which disallows installing other browsers. So many of the machines, they have what they call an anti-forking or anti-fragmentation agreements with many of these, particularly mobile phone makers, that prevents you from doing that. The other issue is that Google insists that uh, your phone must come with Google Play, Chrome, Google Search, etc. And one issue is that these things take up a lot of space. And in order to download something, you might actually have to delete some of the apps and Google make sure that these apps are not deletable. 
which means you may not be able to download something else just because they don't have enough memory. What are the international implications of this? I mean, this is very much based in the US, but we use Google every day. It's going to have wide-ranging implications for the whole world, isn't it? If something major happens, it's going to have wide-ranging implications for the whole world. But the question is, it's not clear what might exactly happen or what might come out of it. I anticipate some kind of agreement where Google agrees to stop doing a few things. But I think fundamentally, the problem is they're so big and they have such advantages in terms of their scale economies that it's not very clear to me what you could do. As I said, let's say even if you manage to push Google back, uh, in 2015, Amazon came up with a different operating system. It's also an Android operating system called Fire OS. We're talking about an absolute flop of the smartphone space. So much stinky history to get into, and it starts with Amazon. And the idea was that you could also use Fire OS on your Android machines, and you know you could do other things. But Google considered that as a fork, that you are installing something else. Have you ever heard of Fire OS? Probably not. What? No, never heard of it. <laughs> because most manufacturers did not want to leave Google, partly because the Android thing is free, but the Google Play or Google Marketing Services has millions of apps. And Google would deny you access to those apps if you don't agree to Google's terms. So even Amazon couldn't break into this market. Wow, so Amazon, chances, like, yeah, that's, that's amazing. So the chances that others would uh, break in is, it's not easy. What's your favourite search engine? You talked about using Bing. Do you have a favourite search engine and why? I, I don't. Like most people, I just I just use the default, I think. So, so my computer came with Edge. I also have Google Chrome, but my default thing is Edge, which means my default search engine is Bing. There you but go. I do use Google Chrome at times. Mm. Have you ever used DuckDuckGo? I've never used DuckDuckGo, actually. I used DuckDuckGo a few years ago because I was concerned about the Google privacy issues. And I used it for a while, but it wasn't giving me very relevant answers or results because it's it doesn't have that flexibility to change for your location or your interests. So, Correct. you know, I just See, went back to using exactly Google. What, <laughs> that's exactly what Sundar Pichai said. He said that, look, would you rather have 10 different inferior search engines than this one fantastic search engine called Google? Yeah, that's right? the thing. That was one of his major arguments that, if you had smaller engines or smaller web crawlers, because they won't have that size, they may not give you the best results. But but Tom, um, just on the flip side of that, this is based on this, this column I wrote, the fact that Google controls 90% of the web also means Google basically decides what you get to see and what you don't get to see. That's it for today on Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders. Our producers are Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. Thanks to Ananesh Chowdhury. Ma tewa. Hey Google, did you enjoy our conversation today? That's one of my specialties.